So go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to the 23rd Psalm. You know, at the beginning of this year, we, we started a series that we called Living in the Overflow. And uh, this was a sermon series based on the 23rd Psalm. And so instead of preaching straight through the 23rd Psalm on successive Sundays, I just kind of made the decision to spread it out uh, throughout the year. And so what I want to do this morning and next Sunday is finish up the series on the 23rd Psalm by looking at the very last verse, uh, which, is, which is verse 6. You see, living in the overflow is all about living in the goodness of God. And uh, the 23rd Psalm is all about the goodness of God. And I think if there's one question that all of us have to answer at some point, uh, if there's one question that we've all wrestled with at some point, and probably will wrestle with it. It's really the question, is God, is God good? Is God really good? And so is God good when you are hurting and in pain? Is God good when there's a financial downturn in your life? Is God good when you're struggling with infertility? Is God good when your spouse leaves you for someone else? Is God good when the doctor says to you, it's cancer? Is God good? You see, the truth is that some of you right now are really struggling to answer that question because you're hurting and you're lonely and you're anxious about the future. And what we see in scripture in general and in the 23rd Psalm in particular is this affirmation that God is good all the time. Now, why in the world would I, would I take 10 weeks out of 52 to focus on this theme of the goodness of God? Well, it's pretty simple, really. The enemy knows that if he can get us to doubt the goodness of God, then it's going to cause a lot of problems in our relationship with God. You see, the enemy knows that if he can move us to question the goodness of God, then he can influence us to do just about anything that he wants us to do. And so Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and that you would have it more abundantly. And so living in the overflow is simply walking in the abundance of God's goodness. You see, living in the overflow is understanding the goodness of God. It is walking in the goodness of God. It is, it is trusting in the goodness of God. And I believe that, that the reason why the 23rd Psalm is so well known and so, and so uh, popular is because I don't think another passage of scripture so beautifully and poetically points to the goodness of God towards us like the the 23rd Psalm. I don't think that another passage really points to God's goodness towards us um, as it relates to our future like the 23rd Psalm. Now, you know, we've kind of talked about it many times. You know, the last year and a half have been uh, very, very difficult for, for all of us and for our nation. I think we've, we've experienced a, a tremendous amount of division and conflict and change just over the last two years. And uh, let me just kind of throw it out to you to think about. You know, as you think about all that we've been through as a country, as you think about all we're, we continue to go through even now, how do you view the future? Like, what's your perspective on the future? How do you view the future? I think if, if we were honest, I think some of us would have, have to admit that we feel a fair amount of apprehension 
and uncertainty about the future. You know, I, I, I took some time uh, this week to kind of just scan some of the headlines, and, and I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, it, was, it was announced this week that China had tested uh, a nuclear-capable hypersonic missile. In fact, they tested two of them. Uh, nuclear-capable hypersonic missile. And so the article that I read described it this way. This is a, quote, fractional orbital bombardment system. Now, I don't know what that means. It just seems like bombs from space. That's what that means. That's what it sounds like to me. So now the article went on to include uh, its description. It has capabilities of traveling intercontinental distances, and it can maneuver to evade anti-missile countermeasures. And in fact, it can elude detection altogether. And so according to the article, this test caught our intelligence services completely off guard. They had no idea. And they went on to explain that the United States does not have a defensive answer for this new technology. Just makes you feel good all over, doesn't it? Um, and then there's the whole issue of China and Taiwan. If you've kind of following what's going on there, you know, experts, geopolitical experts will tell you they're concerned that China is getting ready to invade Taiwan in the near future. And so this would lead to a geopolitical conflict in the, in the Pacific Rim countries that, uh, that we have not seen in decades. Uh, and then you think about just the current national debt. It's, uh, it's $28 trillion dollars. Uh, so this sign's a little bit off there, but currently it's $28 trillion. That's $87,000 per American that is owed. And uh, if President Biden gets his way with the infrastructure bill, it's going to climb well past $30 trillion uh, by the beginning of next year. So you have the current supply chain crisis, which that's well documented. You've got the crisis at the southern border. Uh, you've got the ongoing pandemic, and perhaps worst of all, the Colts have a losing record at two and four. Uh, what is the world coming to? Um, now, you know as well as I do that if you watch enough news, you can, you can absolutely walk away from the television set depressed and discouraged and absolutely anxious about the future. And, uh, you know, for some of you, you don't even have to watch headline news because Perhaps you're struggling right now in your marriage and you're not sure what the future holds. You know, perhaps you're struggling with a prodigal son or daughter and you don't know what direction they're going to go. Or perhaps you're facing a big decision relative to you and your job. What do you do in, in those circumstances? Like, how do you handle that? Like, what do you do? Well, you don't watch, you don't focus on the headlines. You, you, don't, you don't dwell on the circumstances in your life. What do you do? You come back to the goodness of God. You come back to the, the, what the psalmist says, that the Lord is my shepherd. You come right back to that. Because what you know from the 23rd Psalm is God is so good, he's gonna take care of his sheep. It doesn't matter what's in the future, right? God's gonna take care of his sheep. And the question is, are you one of his sheep? So what I wanna do this morning is I want us to, to take a moment and, and uh, I want to read through the 23rd Psalm. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you, would you please stand together as we read God's word together? And so David writes this, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, what I want us to do, and we're going we're gonna to take this Sunday and, and next to really focus on the last verse, which is where David just ends it big. I mean, just real big. Surely and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, he says. And I will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What David is doing there is he's really describing his future. He is thinking about eternity. He, he is confident about where he is headed. He's going to heaven. And I think what we see in verse six are three reasons why you and I can face the future with confidence. Let me give you these three reasons just right up front. The first one is this. I can face the future with confidence because I know God's goodness is pursuing me. I know his goodness is pursuing me. Number two, I know I can face the future with confidence because God's grace is working in me. And then last, I can face the future with confidence because God's glory is waiting for me. Let's look at the first one. God's goodness is pursuing me. Look at what he says in verse six. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, he says. You see that? And, and so what he's talking about is I don't have to fear the future because the goodness of God is following me. I don't have to fear what's before me because I know what is behind me. And it's the goodness of God. That's what he's talking about. And so, and so this, this is a statement of tremendous assurance. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of confidence and certainty and security for the future. Now, what does the word goodness mean? In Hebrew, it really has a range of meanings to it. Uh, there's a lot of different directions you can go with this. Uh, it, it means pleasant. It means joyful. It, it means uh, beauty or happiness, blessing, and well-being. And so when he's talking about God's goodness following him, I think all of those things are are a part of that picture. I think, in fact, everything that he has already talked about in the 23rd Psalm, that he's, that he's already mentioned, that he's already unpacked in the 23rd Psalm. This is a great summary that those things that God's gonna provide for every need that I have, that he's gonna give me rest and restoration, that he's gonna protect me in the face of my enemies, that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to live in anxiety. I don't have to live in fear. I think all of those things are what he has in mind as he's writing this because he knows his shepherd. But let's take it a, let's take it a step deeper. Obviously, this psalm was written by, by David and, and uh, I, I really don't think that David is thinking to himself, you know, I just kind of have a lot of good luck following me everywhere I go. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that's what he's alluding to here. You know, they just... You know, kind of how I live my life, I kind of live a charmed life, you know, everywhere I go, I've, I've got real good luck behind me. I, I think there's something more going on here because when you think about it, only people pursue people. You guys track it with me on that? Now, there is the exception when you're, you know, you're, you're hiking in the Rocky Mountains and you come across a hungry, angry bear, all right? So at that point, the bear would pursue you uh, and you better run. 
Uh, or maybe you're in the Everglades and you stumble on an alligator and that alligator might chase you or pursue you for a while. But for the most part, I think we could agree that only people pursue other people. I remember when I first met Luann, it took me four minutes to make the decision, I'm going to pursue her. I was blind, but now I see. That's kind of how I said that. And I think what he's saying is this, that ultimate goodness, pure goodness, perfect goodness, objective, real goodness is pursuing me. Who is perfect goodness? God is. God is. And so what he's saying is this, that he is aware that God is with him, that God is looking over him and watching out for him, and God is pursuing him. That's what he's saying. Now, do you know that God has been pursuing you your entire life? Do you know that? That God has been pursuing you, especially when you didn't know it, especially when you didn't care. Especially when you were living in rebellion to his commandments and his ways. He was pursuing you and out of love. I, I think about the parable of the lost sheep. You know, Jesus was teaching and he, and he describes this parable. He says, that, you know, if you have a hundred sheep and you lose one, what are you going to do? And he answers the question. He says, of course we know what you're going to do. You're going to leave the, the 99 and you're going to go look. You're going to go pursue that one sheep. Because that one sheep is so valuable to you, you're going to put the other 99 at risk just to get that one. Now, what is that? That's God's goodness pursuing you when you were lost. I think about the picture that we have in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve broke the commandment of God. They rebelled against God. And, and so they, out of guilt and shame, ran and hid in the garden so they didn't have to face God. And God goes looking for them. God knew exactly where they were. And God calls out to Adam, where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. But what is that? That's God's goodness pursuing us when we were lost in our sin. I, I think about Revelation 3, real interesting verse where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I shall come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, what is that? That is really God's goodness pursuing you and knocking on the door of your heart because he wants to have a relationship with you. That's why I created you. And so Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission, to pursue that which was lost, to pursue us. You know, for the longest time, I misunderstood salvation. I just completely misunderstood it because I would, I'd hear a testimony or a story of somebody coming to Christ and I'd think, man, they were really seeking after God. They really were a seeker, if you will. And uh, it's like finding a needle in the haystack. But as I, as I started reading more and more scripture and understanding it more and more, I came to see men and women don't seek God. God seeks out men and women. In John 6, Jesus reminds us, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so it's the Father that's seeking his, his you know, seeking us out. You know, when I was uh, 13 years old, I gave my life to Christ and, and uh, experienced just 
the forgiving grace of God in my life. I, he walked right into my heart that day and, and it, didn't, it didn't take that long for me to start thinking back through my life and just kind of having my eyes open to, as I processed my past, even as a 13 year old, I, could, I started to recognize all the ways that God had, had been pursuing me to that point. That God had been guiding me and protecting me and speaking to me and revealing himself to me. And I was, I was clueless. I had no idea until after the fact. What was that? That was God's goodness pursuing me. That was part of my, my rescue story is pursuing me to rescue me. What's, what's your rescue story? Can you think back to how God had worked in your life? when you didn't know and you didn't even care. Can you think back? You know, I think if we were to dwell on that for five minutes, church, it, it would lead us to awe and wonder and worship because of his grace poured on us. And so I think that's part of what David is talking about, God's goodness pursuing me. I, I really don't have to fear the future because I, I know how God has pursued me in the past. Now, here's the question. How does, God, how does God's goodness pursue us even as believers today? Well, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you some ways on this. I, I think first and foremost, you know, God's goodness pursues us right now by, by just giving us good gifts. By very simply just giving us good gifts. James 1.17 reminds us the source of all good in our life, right? Do not be deceived, he says, my beloved brothers, every good and Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So what he's saying is this, every good gift that you have in your life comes from the Father. He is reminding us we didn't secure that. We didn't achieve that. We didn't earn that. We didn't do that. God gave it to us. And so you think about you think about the car that you drive and, and the clothes that you wear and the house that you live in and the air that you breathe. 23,000 breaths today, every single one of them. A good gift from the Father above. But secondly, he not only gives us good gifts, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us this in Luke eleven thirteen. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is kind of interesting. What, what, what God gives to us is himself, his very spirit, his very presence, the third person of the Trinity, fully God. And so what the Holy Spirit is, is the manifestation of God's goodness to us in real time. And what, what the Holy Spirit does is actually save us and set us free so that, and, and not only save us and set us free, but actually empowers us to live the life that he has called us to live. That is absolutely amazing. I mean, you think about this church, the life that he has commanded us to live, he has absolutely given us the power to do it through his Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift he is. We need the Holy Spirit every day. We need to be renewed in the Holy Spirit uh, every single day. And then I think the third way that God's goodness pursues us is we go back to, to the 23rd Psalm, verse six. Look at what he says. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, let me just make sure you, you're not hearing what he's not saying here. Uh, this doesn't mean that only good things happen to you. That's not what he's saying here. 
He's not saying that the only thing that happens are, are just good things and pleasant things and happy things. No, we know David was, was writing this and his life was filled with a lot of bad things, a lot of hard things, a lot of disappointing things. And so he's not saying that only good things will happen to me. But what he is saying is this, surely, he says, surely good is going to come out of whatever happens, whatever things happen. So it could be the evil things. It could be the, the hard things, the difficult things, the things that make us struggle. What we have is, is a promise that God is going to take those things and he's going to turn them for our good and for our blessing. That is absolutely amazing. And we see this promise in Romans eight twenty eight. Paul says, we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, we're reminded that God takes everything that happens to us, whatever it is, and he uses it for good in our life. He uses, that's pretty amazing. Now, there are a couple of conditions on that. If you, if you don't love the Lord and you're not called according to his purpose, and you've heard me say this in the past, all things don't work together for good for you because you're not you don't love him. You're not called according to his purpose. In fact, I would say all things work together for bad for you because you're not rightly related to the God who loves you. And so, and so that's what David is affirming here is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me no matter what it is I go through. And what's interesting is when you're going through it, you, you, you may not know the good that he's gonna bring. You may never know the good that he brings in this life. But we know he does bring good out of everything. And that's a source of tremendous confidence. So, so David says this. He says, you know, surely goodness is going to pursue me. And for that reason, I have confidence in the future. But secondly, I have confidence for the future because I know that God's grace is working in me. I know that God's grace is working in me. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, he's talking about, we're reminded that not only goodness follows us, but mercy follows us as well. So we're reminded about that. All right, now what's the difference between God's goodness and God's mercy? God's goodness, I would say, is when God gives me something that I don't deserve. He gives me a gift. He gives me salvation, which is the most amazing gift of all. But he gives me my family. He gives me food. You know, he gives me air to breathe, which we kind of already mentioned. And so, so those things are a, are a part of his goodness. In other words, they are a grace. See, grace is when God gives me what I don't deserve. But mercy is the exact opposite. Mercy is different from grace. Because mercy is when God doesn't give me what I do deserve. And so as I, as I think about all the ways that I've sinned, all the ways that I've been mean, all the harsh things that I've said, how I failed in thought, word, and deed, the truth is what I deserve from that is death and separation from God. That's what I deserve. And so that's why the Bible says for the wages of sin, the, the consequence, the payment for sin is death. But the gift of God is the eternal life. So, so really grace is what God gives me what I don't deserve and mercy is 
when God doesn't give me what I do deserve. So, so what David is saying is this, grace and mercy follow me my entire life. And so practically what that means is this, that, that grace and mercy following me means that, that I have God's provision and I have God's pardon in my life. That's what he's talking about. That's what it means. His provision is when he gives me all kinds of good things in my life. His pardon is when he forgives me for all the bad things in my life. And so forgiveness, that's really the mercy part. And he does it because of his goodness. And I can, I can expect both. Now, here's, here's the real question. Why is it that I need mercy and grace? Why is that? Why do I need it? Because even as a Christian, I sin. Even as a Christian, I am a, I'm a broken person. And so God's slowly rebuilding me and transforming me and changing me. And, and what that means is today, here and now, I don't always do the right thing. And I, I, I mess up and, and I, I make mistakes. And so, so I need God's grace all the time. I mean, church, could you imagine if verse six said, and God's wrath and justice follow me all the days of my life? Could you imagine that? Like, would you want that? No, because we know that that's what we deserve, but that's not what he gives. Grace and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So practically what this means is this, that because of God's grace and mercy, I can go to him every time I screw up, I mess up, I fail, I, I sin, I can go back to him every single time. Do you realize that, church? That that's what he's talking about here? That you can, you can always come to him no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done. You can always go to him. Why? Because God's grace and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Now, what do you do when you're a Christian and you sin? What do you do with that? Well, when you think about what your first response should be and you sin, the Bible really gives us a picture of this. It's Hebrews 4.16. Let, let me show you what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So even when we sin as a Christian, what we need to do is go back to the throne of grace and, and make it right with God and ask for his forgiveness and repent of that sin. We don't have to fear the wrath of God. We can actually come to the throne with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. And what happens is, it's not that we, we get resaved, but what happens is that relationship begins to be renewed, it's restored. And so our closeness with God is reestablished. And so we all have to do this because every Christian battles some habitual sin. I call them uh, die hard sins. These are sins that die really hard. You guys know what I'm saying? And um, it could be lust, it could be anger, it could be jealousy, it could be gossip. There are certain sins in my life and in your life that die hard. It takes a lot to get rid of them. And the thing about these habitual sins 
is they are a source of guilt and shame for us. And so we, we feel guilty because we know what we did is wrong and destructive and corrosive and all of that. But then we also feel shame because we realize this is kind of who we are. Like shame is a lot deeper because we realize, man, we are unworthy and we, and we feel dirty. And so there's so much fear about the future that comes from the fact that we're trying to live in guilt and shame. And it just doesn't work. Like the source of our anxiety for the future so many times is our guilt and shame. And so what God wants us to do is to go to him and confess them. But one of the things that we know is that we've confessed it so many times where we, we think, oh man, if I go back and confess this one more time, God's going to say, can't you come up with something new? I mean, I've already forgiven this a thousand times. Can you do something else? You know, I mean, have you ever thought that? You guys know what I'm saying? You struggle with the same thing and you think God's, you know, frustrated with you and, you know, just getting on you a little bit because you got to confess it over and over and over, over again. Church, listen to me. This is, this is so important. God never gets tired of you coming to him. Do you know that? He never gets tired of you coming to him. He is never disappointed with you. He never gets bored with you. Mercy and grace shall follow me all the days of my life. And so what that means is you don't have to go to him embarrassed. You go to him in need. That's what you do. And you confess it. And you ask God, help me to lay this down as I repent of this. Let me show, let me show it to you again. Hebrews 4.16, because this is so important. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what he's saying there is this, you can go to him all the time for every, for every sin, for the same sin that you struggle with over and over. You can go to him time after time after time. That's what that thing is saying. You're like, Scott, I don't see that in there. Where is he saying that? He says it this way, that you may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Now, here's the question. When is the time of need? It's all the time. It's all the time. So what that means is you can go to him all the time and he never gets tired of you coming to him. I mean, think about it. Think about a mother of a toddler and this toddler has just learned to walk. How many messes can a toddler who's just learned to walk can make in 10 minutes? Can, you, can anybody have a guess on that? Some of you are living it right now, right? You know exactly what I'm saying. And what does mom do? She just follows the little toddler around, just cleaning up all the messes, right? And making sure the toddler doesn't hurt himself or, or herself. And, and so, and so the, the reality is, is we have no idea how many messes we've created and God has come right behind us and cleaned those messes up. A dumb decision a flippant decision, you made it and you went right on and God went right behind you and you're not even realizing the chaos that you're leaving in the wake. But God's grace and mercy following you all the days of your life. And so, you know, that is just incredible when you think about it. Now, does this mean that, you know, you can just kind of live in sin as long as you want, as much as you want and you know, just kind of do whatever you want. And then before bed, you know, you just pray and ask for God's forgiveness and you're good. You just, 
you just kind of flippantly give yourself to it. No, it doesn't mean that. Uh, the reason why is because when you became a Christian, God set you free from sin. He released you from the power of it. And then he gave you a power to overcome it. So, so if you did that, you, you wouldn't be living in that. But then secondly, when, when you became a Christian, God started a work in you. Like he started something beautiful in you, something glorious in you. I mean, he really started a, a renovation job in your character. And uh, he's not going to finish it until the day you die. In fact, Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure of this. See, this is confidence. He's talking about the confidence that he has. Surely he who began a work in me in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the work that he has started in you to make him like his son, to make you like his son, he's gonna finish it on the day of Jesus. And so that is really good news. That's a part of that grace working in me in a broken and evil world. And so you can go to him and confess and repent and confess and repent. Church, that is the Christian life. It's not this, this elevator of progress that we get to the top floor and we've made it. It's not that. It's continual confession and continual repentance. And over time, what happens to you is the grace of God is changing you and growing you. And you look back and you say, you know what? I'm not struggling with that thing anymore. God's moved on to something else. Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes this process, it's, it's called sanctification. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At, for her, at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense at all. What on earth is he up to? Well, the expl explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you, you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making up courtyards. You thought that you were being made into a decent little cottage. But what he's doing is he's building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. Isn't that amazing? It's a great picture of what God is doing and so that is God's grace working in me. Here's, here's the last one. The reason why I can face the future with confidence is because God's glory is waiting for me. God's glory is waiting for me. This is why we, we really don't have to be afraid of the future. Notice what he says. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Now this, really what that is, is the big ending. This is the big crescendo. And, uh, and what he is talking about here, he's talking about we get to live with the Lord forever. Uh, he's talking about heaven and we will behold his glory. We will, we will see God. We will dwell. We will live with God. That's what he's talking about. And so specifically, he's just pointing us to the fact that, that throughout all of eternity, we will never be separated. Listen to this church. We will never be separated from, from really direct, unhindered fellowship with God. Direct, unhindered fellowship with God will never be separated from that for all of eternity. What that means is this, 
the, the greatest prize of heaven are not the streets of gold. I'm sure they look really cool. Um, the greatest prize of heaven are not all the pleasures that God has waiting for us, the eternal pleasures that he has at our disposal. And really, you know, the greatest prize is not just being reunited with our family members and friends who've gone before us. But the greatest prize of heaven is we have God himself. We have him. That's what makes heaven heaven. We have him. Now, what I want to do this next Sunday is I want, to, I want to talk as much as I possibly can about heaven. I want to answer as many questions as I can about heaven because I, we need a, a clear picture of what the Bible says about heaven. So I'm, so I'm working on that. But, but let me just say this. In heaven, we will no longer question the goodness of God. We will no longer question it. We will see it. We will savor it. We will enjoy it. And we will declare it our constant companion. That's what's going to happen. And that's what David is saying. Your faith in heaven will no longer be faith. It will be sight. You will see it. You will touch it. You will live it every moment of your existence. So I don't have to fear an economic collapse. I, I don't have to fear, you know, a geopolitical conflict. I don't even have to fear death because you know what death is? When we sang about it earlier, right? Because of the resurrection, death is just a transfer. Death is just a transition. It's the beginning of a whole new life. That if you're in Christ, the best is yet to come. Now, how is that even possible? Well, the shepherd, he loves you so much. It's possible because he laid down his life for his sheep. He gave it all so that you could have it all. So that you could be confident in the future. Yeah, his life given for you. And he says, take and receive the gift of eternal life. There's nothing to fear. No matter what comes, I don't know what's gonna happen to me tomorrow. I don't know what's gonna happen to my family next week, next year. I have no idea, but I do know this. I'm not worried about it because the Lord is my shepherd and he laid down his life for his sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a very troubled world. And it's easy for us to get so focused on circumstances in our lives, in our country, around the world. And I thank you that, Lord, we're, we're not citizens here. We're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So that means we're on assignment. That means we have a job to do. That means we have a goal that we're focused on. And Lord, we thank you that even though we are gonna walk through some dark valleys, our commander is always with us. Our shepherd is, loves us. And I pray God, you would just strengthen our faith Lord, the world has been in turmoil 
since Adam and Eve sinned against you. You got this. And most of all, you got us. And we're just in awe and wonder. And we're just, we just respond in worship that, that you would pursue us, that you love us, that you consider us valuable, that you would give everything for us. We can't even imagine a love like that. But we can know it. So I pray that, that it would be real to us today. So we thank you and we praise you. We love you, God. Just fill us up and send us out filled with a God confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.